You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Don't waste your worship on some little God, squandering your birthright on idols made only with human imagination. Guard your worship and carefully evaluate all potential takers. To choose well doesn't mean we can't appreciate things of beauty and style. It's certainly not wrong to deeply love another, nor is it a sin to value a great job or enjoy an amazing destination, and I'll add an experience. But when we elevate any of these things to the highest place in our hearts, we've gone too far. In a world full of things, it can be easy to lose focus on what really matters. There are so many flashy lights and loud sounds, and often those become what we worship. In today's message, Pastor Danny will encourage you to evaluate your idols, to sit back and really think about what you worship. Do you hold the things of the world higher than God? Do you worship stuff rather than His presence? If so, throw away your idols. Don't waste your worship on the little g-gods when God is mighty and full of awe. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Colossians chapter 1 as he begins his message, Fragrant Worship. Let me read you from a little book that I picked up years ago. It's called The Air I Breathe by Louis Giglio. Maybe you've heard his name. Maybe you're familiar with his ministry. It's one of the best little books on worship that I've ever found. And I'm going to read sections through it periodically throughout the message. Let me start with this. This is the opening chapter. It's called That Thing We Do. You, my friend, are a worshiper. There, I said it. Every day, all day long, in every place, you worship. It's what you do. It's who you are. So if by chance you have only a few seconds to glance at this book, that's what it's all about. We are all worshipers, created to bring pleasure and honor to the God who made us. You may not consider yourself a worshiping kind of person, but you cannot help but worship something. It's what you were made to do. Should you, for some reason, choose not to give God what he desires, you'll worship anyway, simply exchanging the creator for something he created. Think of it this way. Worship is simply about value. The simplest definition I can give is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. That's why worship is that thing we all do. It's what we're all about on any given day. Worship is about saying, this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever, is what matters most to me. It's the thing of highest value in my life. That thing might be a relationship, a dream, a position, status, something you own, a home, 
a name, a job, some kind of pleasure. Whatever name you put on it, this thing is what you've concluded in your heart is worth most to you. And whatever is worth most to you is, you guessed it, what you worship. That's interesting. There's a little statement um, he says in here that when I first read it years ago, I memorized, and I'm very glad I did. Follow the trail of your time, energy, affections, and money, and there you find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is the object of your worship. It's a great statement. Here's a summary of how it goes. Whatever is worth most to us is what we worship. Now, I'm going to read you this one other little section, and then we're going to go into some scripture here. If you think about it, history has known no shortage of worship. The timeline of mankind is littered with trillions of little idols. Every culture, every corner of earth, every age has had its gods. Just circle the globe and watch for worship. Study the great civilizations and explore their temples. The compelling question for me is, why? Why do we crave something to worship? Why are we so insatiably drawn from idol to idol, desperately needing something to champion, something to exalt, something to adore? I think it's because we were designed that way. We were made for God. Here's what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 1. Now, come on, read this with me and let's think about it as we read. Are you ready? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Now, It's talking about Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is God come in flesh. So this is God in flesh, creator, and all things created by him. And note that last emphasis, the last three words, and for him. Romans chapter 1 really talks about what has been dubbed the depravity of man. Says things like this, although they knew God, They neither acknowledged him as God nor worshiped him. And then it goes on and you can read it sometime. Maybe you've read it. And then it lifts the downward spiral, the depravity of man, because he chooses not to worship God. And here's how it sums it up. It's just amazing. Great summary. Verse 25 of Romans chapter one. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. It's a lie to believe that anything or anyone else in life should be before God. It's a lie. And that is the essence of idolatry when I put anything created above God. Now, just so we don't misunderstand, let me read one more little section here. And I think you'll get it. Don't waste your worship on some little God, squandering your birthright on idols made only with human imagination. Guard your worship and carefully evaluate all potential takers. To choose well doesn't mean we can't appreciate things of beauty and style. It's certainly not wrong to deeply love another, nor is it a sin to value a great job or enjoy an amazing destination, and I'll add an experience. 
But when we elevate any of these things to the highest place in our hearts, we've gone too far. You see, that's the essence of idolatry. My wife and I both understand as we're married to one another and we love the Lord, we both realize the Lord needs to be number one in our lives. And so it's not a contradiction to say, I love the Lord, but I love my wife. But if my wife, God forbid, and it's hard to even imagine, ever wigged out and went away from the Lord, I know you can't imagine it either. You know her. It's easy to put it on the other side. If I ever wigged out, and if one of us wig out and we follow the other one into sin because of that love relationship, then that relationship becomes idolatrous, even though it's a marriage sanctioned and ordained by God. So God is number one. But it doesn't mean I don't love my wife and can't love my wife. It doesn't mean you can't have some possession and really enjoy it. Paul wrote in one of his uh, little epistles, to Timothy, I think it was, and he said, God has freely given us all things to enjoy. It's not wrong to have more possessions than maybe your neighbor, as long as those possessions don't elevate to a place above God. It's not wrong to want a better job and to long for success in that job, but it's when that job and the money from that job become more important than my relationship with God. Those are the things that become idolatrous. It's when they take the place of or crowd out a relationship with the Lord. Now, there's someone in the scripture that to me is one of the greatest examples of a worshiper who came to a point where they did not allow anything or anyone to get in the way of their relationship with the Lord. Now, before we look at this person, let me just say this. All of us have to come to a place in life where we make a decision and then subsequent decisions on a daily basis to not allow idols in our lives. Are you with me? We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned each one to his own way. And there comes a point in life that, of course, you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And then on a daily basis, we make decisions based on our relationship with Christ in regard to worship. Now, with that said, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. It's an amazing story that I'm so thankful God recorded for us. You find the place, Mark chapter 14, start with me, verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon, Simon the leper. That's a message in itself because Jesus would have certainly been criticized for associating with a leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. For years, I didn't understand why she broke the jar. I think I do now. We'll talk about it. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Now think about who it is rebuking her. These are the apostles. But Jesus comes to her defense, verse 6, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. He's not saying don't help the poor. But you will not always have me. 
She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. This woman has incredible spiritual insight. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And it's being told here once again in a place where the gospel is preached. It's a very extravagant act. Extravagant. And it seems to even the apostles to be wasteful. Who is this worshiper? Who is this woman? Well, I'm also thankful that God tells us, but not in Mark's account. But if you turn over to John's account, John's gospel, chapter 12, we discover the identity of this woman, this worshiper. Verse 1, John chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And I couldn't help but titling this fragrant worship. Now we know who she is. This is Mary. Her brother's name is Lazarus. He had died. Jesus resurrected him from the dead. She has a sister named Martha. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So at first, there's the mumbling of the apostles saying to one another, why this waste? But finally, Judas says what the others are thinking. Why this waste? This could have been sold and we could have given the money to the poor. But he didn't say it because he cared. But it's interesting, he brings it up publicly and everybody else agrees, except for Jesus. I've often wondered what motivated Mary in this extravagant act of worship. And really, I don't know, but I had this thought last night as we began the service last night and I'm standing over here worshiping and I am worshiping, but this thought popped into my mind. And that was what happens in John's gospel, chapter 11. In John's gospel, chapter 11, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is sick. He's so sick that uh, they send the messenger to Jesus. Jesus is somewhere else in another town, and the messenger comes, and he says, the one you love is sick. And if you know the story, Jesus says to the messenger, this sickness will not end in death. This is for God's glory, that God may be glorified through it. And the messenger goes back, says that to Mary, Martha, and those who love them and Lazarus, and yet Jesus delays. And during the delay, Lazarus dies. Jesus doesn't show back up there until they've already buried Lazarus. He's in the grave. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Before that, Both Martha and Mary, when Jesus shows up, say the most natural thing, even to a worshiper, even 
to a radical worshiper like Mary. And they say to Jesus, they say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And for a period of time, there was that perplexity of what happened? What about his word? What about him saying this sickness will not end in death? And then they go through the pain, the grief, the loss. And then they see firsthand resurrection. And it hit me last night. I don't know for sure, but could that be what moved Mary in this extravagant act of worship? That now in light of resurrection, in light of resurrection, things look much different. And here's all I'm going to say there. But please catch it. Resurrection will answer all of our questions that we don't have answered right now. I don't have all the answers. There's a lot of things going on in our fellowship right now where people are suffering, where God's allowed certain people who really love the Lord to experience pain and loss, death, and I don't understand it. Some people who really love the Lord, I don't understand it. But in the resurrection, I will. The resurrection will answer all our unanswered and perplexing questions. I'll tell you what else resurrection will do. Resurrection will heal all of our hurts and make right all of our disappointments in this life. And I don't know if that's what it was, but I think it could have been what moved Mary. Now in light of resurrection, whatever it was, she was moved to worship the Lord in a very extravagant, sacrificial way. When you examine her life, there are some things that really are revealed that tell us how and why she became this kind of worshiper. And I want to share biblically what those things are. The first is simply this. Mary had ears to hear. Ears to hear. When you back up to Luke's gospel, chapter 10, you have this account, and it may be familiar to some of us, But listen to what happens here. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. He's talking about one thing needed for the moment. He's not saying there's not a time for service, not a place for service. That's obvious. He's saying for the moment, for the moment, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's interesting. I was thinking about Luke chapter 8 where Jesus says there, be careful how you listen. And it's in the context of things given and the things given, uh, if we have, more will be given. But if we don't, then even what we do have will be taken from us. And after that, he says, so be careful how you listen. How many times the gospels record before Jesus would speak, he would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Anybody here that's not hearing me verbally, audibly? Anybody not hearing me? Not one hand. But you see, the thing is, when God speaks, when his word is shared, some people have ears to hear, some people don't. The letters by Jesus to the seven churches of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, and those seven letters and those seven messages are meant to be applied to the church age of all time. So every one of those messages, when needed, is applied to us. And after every message, here's what Jesus said. 
at the end of every message, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What are ears to hear? Well, let me just say, they're not ears that are given discriminately. In other words, God doesn't just grant one person ears to hear and say, well, I'm not going to grant you ears to hear. That wouldn't be fair. God wants us all to hear. It's a choice. As a matter of fact, I believe it's a series of choices that determine the hearing ear and the continuing to have a hearing ear. It's what James talked about in James chapter 1. Here's what he said. Don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you know more. No. You'll be blessed if you do them. Mary made a priority of hearing the Word of God, of hearing Jesus. But she didn't just hear it. She did it. But it starts with making a priority of hearing. And all kind of things will get in the way. Things that need to be done. Kids, family, serving the Lord, serving in the church. And yet Mary chose above service even to the Lord, sitting at the Lord's feet and hearing His Word. Now, she was able to do the Word because of the second characteristic about her life. She had a circumcised heart. She was able to continue to choose to hear God's Word, but also to do it. What's a circumcised heart? Well, a circumcision means a cutting away. It's literally a cutting away of the flesh. Cutting away of the flesh. Now, uh, for quite a while, when I would think about God and His circumcision work in my life, and Romans 2 says circumcision of the heart is of the heart by the Spirit. So physical circumcision is not the thing. Physical circumcision only speaks of the work that God wants to do spiritually in our heart. Are you with me? And understand that circumcision is very personal. I don't need to get into that. Of a very personal nature. Personal nature. And I initially thought of circumcision, and rightly so, when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and God's work of circumcising the flesh out of my life, the drug habit that I had, he cleaned that up and he cut that away. And I allowed him to. You got to allow him to do it. My foul mouth. I had a foul mouth. I mean, the, the heart that just out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaking, I had a foul mouth. It's amazing how I can control it around my mother and grandmother. But around everybody else, foul he cleaned that up. He cleaned that up first day I got saved. It was amazing. Cut it away. Cleaned it up. I let him do it. I wanted him to do it. Uh, my sexual sin, sexual immorality, purified that, and then sought to make, live a life of purity sexually. And those are natural things that in my life needed to be cut away, and I wanted the Lord to cut away. But then as I began to mature in the Lord, and those things were no longer issues, if you know what I mean, now those things are not a part of my life now it's a cutting away of, here's how somebody put it. Listen carefully. Good, but unnecessary things that crowd out God. You can make sports more important than God. You make fishing, God help us, <laughs> more important than God. You can make a career more important than God. These are things that in and of themselves are not sinful, but they become sinful when they... Take priority. And in that way, they become idols. A person. But we won't get into that one because we'll come back. We'll hit that before we're done. 
Mary made a choice to cut away the good but unnecessary things that would crowd out God. She didn't allow serving the Lord to get in the way of hearing His Word and then doing it. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges as we study Christian basics together. You can hear more teachings like this or more from Pastor Danny by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. That way you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest teachings and videos. If you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you in person. We invite you to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. If you're unable to visit us in person, we also live stream our services. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series, Christian Basics, our prayer is that you're reminded that the fundamental thing you need to know is that Jesus loves you deeply. In a world full of unrest, He is rest. In days filled with hurry, He is still. In years full of uncertainty and despair, He is hope and never changes. The Bible is a great source to remember these truths, and we encourage you to read it daily. It will help guide you to truth and lead you in a way that is everlasting. That's all the time we have for today. Tune in next time to hear more from Pastor Danny right here on The Living Word.